All right, first question is a big question. Um, can you address restraining evil? If God doesn't restrain evil, then should we? He does, of course. God has been restraining evil. It's a hedge of protection. And uh, if you think of uh, the uh, Old Testament, the angel armies that uh, circle around and held back the Assyrians, uh, God has uh, sent his uh, spirit to intercede into our hearts and minds. Satan is put on a, a leash. So, so God has, has been restraining evil uh, all along. And we, and we, the only usefulness, in my view, a righteous usefulness of human governments, and Paul talks about this in Romans, is to restrain evil. To, to restrain the anarchists and the, and the people who would just destroy uh, society to prevent a structure. You cannot promote righteousness through human legislation. You can only hold in check or restrain people that would try to harm others. And that is the righteous use of, of power over others, is simply in restraint, but not in promotion of a righteous agenda. So God does restrain, and we are to restrain. And to add to what he said, I, I would say... I would maybe rephrase it as oppose it, to oppose evil. Like as followers of Jesus, we're part of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom has a culture. And the kingdom of evil has a culture as well, and those kingdoms are colliding. And so I think the agent by which we actually oppose or restrain, in a sense. Well, no, those are different. So no. I like what you're doing here, because we restrain evil for the benefit <laughs> of, the, of the innocent. Yeah. So we restrain the pedophile for the innocent child. Right. Okay. We oppose evil through the power of God to transform the heart of the pedophile and restore him to righteousness. And it's love, though. It's yes. love that right. actually functions to restrain or oppose, because love is the, the most functional thing that structures and uh, shapes uh, the character of the kingdom of God, or the culture of the kingdom of God. And so right? God has been restraining for the plan of salvation to work through, but there coming a time where his restraint becomes less and less and less, the forces, the, the four angels holding back the winds of strife are loosened, and more and more freedom for anarchy and Satan's power to do evil is, is going to be released up until ultimately the end. So God restrains for the purpose of the innocent and for the saving those who will respond, but eventually he lets go those forces. And then just real quick, to, I referenced in my final talk about Deuteronomy, and when the original language of the Great Commandment shows up is in Deuteronomy 6, prior to the Israelites going into the Promised Land. And so essentially what God is commanding the Israelites to do is go and shape culture in the Promised Land with love. That's how you do it. The world's going to do it a whole bunch of other ways and plug different things in that box. There are various forms of evil that will try to sh shape culture, but we shape culture with love. And in, in doing so, I think we come against or restrain or come against yeah. the culture yeah. of evil. Yeah. All right, next question, which I think is addressed to you. Um, please talk regarding sexual identity, the confusion and choice, and what teenagers uh, tend to be facing in school, particularly from gay and lesbian uh, movements. Uh, and I'm guessing this, this uh, person that authored this question is talking about the social gender media. uniform, gender unicorns, and fluidity issues, and, and things mm -hmm. like that. Well, I can only speak to it from my school experience, and I'm sure Dr. Jennings from a psychological experience. But um, you know, it's typical adolescent development to try on different avatars and personas and sexual identities. And so, especially with the advent of social media and pornography, that's really infiltrated our kids' brains and minds, and and trying on those different 
types of things if they don't have a structure at home, if they don't have a structure of faith at home to guide them through that, they're going to explore that. Um, so I see it at the school level in many different ways of them trying to express themselves, try it on, I think I'm gay, and then two weeks later, they don't think they're gay anymore. So a lot of what uh, I feel they're being exposed to is through social media and trying to form an identity, which is all part of that adolescent development. Um, but I'll let Dr. Jennings speak to a deeper, deeper level about that sexual identity. You know, so this is an interesting question, and I I, th I was um, you know interested into the the media pressures that are coming to bear on kids mm -hmm. uh, and social media. Uh, th there's a difference between the realities of biology and the political agenda of organizations. Those are not the same, and there are uh, during adolescence. I met in my talked to my developing brain talk. There is a period of vulnerability during adolescence uh, that uh, people are subject to influences through environment and exposure that can set up um, alterations in their normal biological arousal circuits that wouldn't be set up if they weren't exposed to porn, for instance. Porn can alter normal sexual arousal. This is where paraphilias, paraphilias are the deviations from normal sexual arousal um, that, uh, that people can have. And uh, this, these set up in adolescence during this vulnerable period. So to the degree that we ch protect our children from pornography and uh, these types of things, we can insulate them. What you said is absolutely true, though. It is a time of, of identity in general uncertainty. Who am I? What am I going to be? What's my career? And the, the messaging out of, out of the uh, certain segments of our society today is that... Um, that when it comes to sexual identity, that there, and this is where that community, I'll just say the LGBT com community, exposes their hypocrisy. Because on the one hand, they will say, you're born gay. And you're either gay or you're lesbian. And uh, anybody that comes along and tries to introduce a, a, re, uh, a message that would try to bring you into a heterosexual lifestyle is abusing you. On the other hand, they will turn around and say, sexuality is fluid. There is actually no binary sex. It is all open toward the person's desires and experiences, and they can have sex anyway with anybody who they want. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And so they will send both messages at the same time. What you'll actually see, the real message of the political versus the biological, is, that, is to destroy heterosexual relation and destroy marriage. That's the real goal uh, of, that, of that political side of it. Uh, if you want to speak to the biology of, of how human sexuality is um, not simply male, female, but there's hermaphrodites and, and intersex uh, conditions that people don't choose that are biologically based. In my book, The, um, the God-Shaped Heart, there's an entire chapter where I go through that biology and how people can have sexual identity confusions that are bio biologically based, but that is not a social media-driven aspect of it. Okay, so if you guys remember in the first talk when I referenced Emile Durkheim, and he talked about in Anomic Suicide the reality that moral norms were deconstructed, talking at the, I mean, we're talking at a, a very micro level when we start to analyze and look at biological things with LBGTQ community and, and all those things, the functioning at that layer, which is all reality and true, the difficult ways that we're designed to function and how 
healthy behavior looks like and all that we can analyze it. At the top layer, when kids are in the world, they're seeing messaging. They're being indoctrinated with a philosophy. Yeah. Right? That's, that's the reality of most of what they're interacting with. They're not told what's healthy and unhealthy. They're told actually anything's fine. However you want to define it is okay. That's right. And that message doesn't actually work. There's nothing to hold on to in it. And so it's, in a sense, kind of deconstructing or deregulating them before they ever know it. There's, what do I grab onto? What, what actually works? And, and so I think that's the more problematic thing because, like, the word philosophy is defined as truths and principles. That's a basic definition of the word philosophy. And what I've heard kids, teenagers, say to me is, I don't know how to think about life. Because what they've been told is, think about it however you want. And they, and they go to parents and they can't get guidance. They go to people around them. Who do I trust? And so I think one of the big things that's also tied to this is the, uh, there's an institutional distrust in the West amongst young people that has never really existed in history. They don't trust family. They don't trust the church. They don't trust education. They don't trust any of these institutions that are designed to bring structure for helping them learn how to live life. It's all been deconstructed. Figure it out for yourself. And that's a consequence of the public education system. Yeah, and so when you have these issues come up and identity issues. It is. It comes back to a battle for philosophy, a battle for how people think. And our kids are suffering. Do you think there's some, um, some element maybe of, uh, like in Katie's presentation when for example, a 13-year-old girl posts a picture of her kissing another girl, and she gets this tsunami of, of likes and thumbs-ups and things like that, and it, then it becomes, not, not only are we not anchored by a moral normalcy, but we're, we're, we're now driven by, hey, this is popular, this encourages me. I think it goes back to basic attachment needs of I want to be seen, I want to be heard, I want to be loved. So if I am me and I'm not doing this and I'm not getting seen, heard, and loved by parents, by teachers, by whoever, I can do this sort of outrageous thing and mm. do what so-and-so is doing and she seems to be getting, you know, so that photo of two girls kissing is getting me all these likes and followers. Now I'm seen, heard, and loved in a very inauthentic way. So my tiny brain and my tiny heart is like full for like five seconds. Well, then I need to post something else to stay in the game. So part of the messaging, I believe, really um, almost makes them addicted to that attachment. Yeah, and then it has to escalate. The next yeah. picture has to escalate. Yeah. yeah. Well, and to couple with that, the goal has become for the next generation to to feel good all the time. And if you don't feel good, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You must have a mental illness. And to couple that with, you need to become an influencer. Oh, yes. Like the goal to become an influencer. So this is like what they're chasing. Right. Do you, see, do you see the threads connecting all this now? Mm -hmm. And so the thread being the lack of love, because God has been removed from society. There's no God that loves you. Okay. The families are fractured and broken, and the families are, 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 are not consistently loving and supportive for many of these people. And the government, it used to be God, family, country. Well, your country is certainly at nothing. It used to be, not ask not what your, your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. In other words, sacrifice, altruism for a larger community good, part of love, the principles, all three of those are undermined in society now. What you're saying, leaving people with uh, simply themselves, 
themselves only. And so there's a definite void of lack of love, meaning, perspective, altruism, connection to God's reality in any of the domains that, that we would normally find that. And so they're lost. And then what happens is they're looking for someone to love them to value them and the LBGD community and the, and the modern media is very powerful in sending a false message that you will be valued and you will be loved if you soundbite us back what we want to hear, we'll validate you. However, if you stand up for principles, you'll be canceled. You will, you, you, you will lose your Twitter account. You'll lose your face. You will be cut off from everything that our society tells you you should value. You'll be really alone. So, so they're really being pressured, I think, to actually engage in very destructive practices. And, um, but, go ahead. and unfortunately, the church has not been the greatest place for people who are struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria to be able to come, come in and wrestle with those issues and struggle. So the LBGTQ community goes, come to our community. We'll love you. We'll accept you. And, and we're losing, I think, sometimes our own. No, that's exactly right. Because Most we don't allow them to struggle. The vast, vast, vast majority are heterosexuals simply struggling with general identity questions, don't have real sexual identity questions, but then they get drug in. And I can't tell me um, young women that I've seen that have gotten into a same-sex relationship simply because they were lonely and confused about life and themselves, but they never really were um, lesbian. And now they have all types of, of other problems of guilt, loathing, insecurity, and confusion because of those relationships they got into. And often it's older women that seduce them. Okay. You mentioned the uh, effects of teen smoking. Uh, do, do the same thing happen with the vaping instead of smoking? Yes. It's an addictive substance, and you will have the same high uh, addiction rate if you start in adolescence. Good. That was a quick one. Go on. Another quick one. Do you have any recommendations for folks who are currently overweight or obese? I've heard of things called gyms. I've never been to one. <laughs> I know they're out there. I thought it was pronounced gyme. Because I'd, I'd fall into that category, so I'm all ears right now. So um, it's a very complex question. I have an entire chapter in my book, The Aging Brain, you got here for free. Uh, and uh, on obesity and the complex issues that impact obesity, I encourage you to check that out. Start with your physician, get a good physical exam. Um, but obesity is impacted by genetics, impacted by dietary choices, impacted by sleep, impacted by stress, impacted by meds, impacted by um, gut bacteria, the bacteria in your gut. Uh, it's impacted by so many things. So um, it's, it, I would tell you, start with um, you know, get the book, read it, get a good uh, evaluation with your physician, and then make some lifestyle changes and go that direction. Scripture says we should ask God for forgiveness, but yet we are forgiven from the foundation of the world. How does asking for forgiveness contribute to healing of the mind? The question for all of these for me always starts with, before you answer that question, how do you understand the law? Mm. Okay, are you asking this relationally, as in... Um, as you've offended a, a, a family member, a loved one, a close person, you've wronged them, and you're asking their forgiveness, so that is your relationship with God. You feel you've hurt him, and you want to know he forgives you personally in your heart, so you 
converse with them, God, will you forgive me? And you will hear his absolute father forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's forgiving his enemies. Of course, God forgives you. But is it the personal dynamic that you're searching for? Or um, because it's a love relationship under the law of love and how reality works? Or are you, hearing, or are you asking the question under the penal legal model where forgiveness equals some type of legal pardon and you're seeking to get some legal pardon uh, from things? If that's the case, that's not really what the Bible even teaches. What's, what's the saying? Um, we forgive, what's, as he forgives us or something like that? How's it go, something like that? But there was something about the consequence. If we don't forgive, he doesn't forgive us. Okay, the reason for that is if we don't forgive, we actually are not opening our own hearts to receive his forgiveness into our hearts. Okay, that's why we're hardening our hearts by not forgiving others. So it's not a transactional thing, it's a functional thing that's happening inside. If you, if you refuse to forgive, then you're hardening your heart and you're becoming resentful and you're becoming bitter and you're becoming more selfish and becoming more alienated and you're actually obstructing God's grace and forgiveness and love from working in your heart. So that's why we forgive as he's forgiven us. We experience that. So um, I hope that and, answered the question. And I would add to it, because it was asked from the perspective of healing, healing the mind. If we use the construct that we're given from Jesus in the great commandment to love as a soul, heart, mind, and strength, to understand God's forgiveness in our mind and to think about it correctly heals the mind, in my opinion, because you're receiving God's love and you're understanding forgiveness and you're thinking about it correctly versus not thinking about it correctly changes the way you think. That's correct. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a really important thing to make sure we understand because... I have people that come to me a lot and they, they struggle with not being able to forgive themselves, which is an interesting thing. And I ask them, is there a biblical precedent that says you should forgive yourself? Because in a sense, you're saying you can do something that you actually can't do. God forgives us. You can accept yourself. You could think about yourself correctly. You could love yourself appropriately. But the reality is you don't forgive yourself. That's what God does. He's in the business of forgiveness. But the way we think about it appropriately in love helps our minds to be healthy and to, to live that way. Would you challenge that? That's an interesting one. Yes, I would. Okay. I'm not no, surprised. I, I, I'm I thinking this. this would be a great philosophical discussion because <laughs> uh, what, what are we talking about here? That, that, uh, that statement that, that God forgives sounds very much from an authoritarian. He's sovereign. It's his right. He extends it. We have no right to usurp his authority. Therefore, God forgives. Um, it sounds very penal, legal, imperial. And, and I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's how he operates. I think for those who have actually betrayed themselves... See, can you, if, if, if somebody wronged you, your brother stole from you, and mm -hmm. he came back and asked your forgiveness, not only does he need to see God's forgiveness, do you need to personally forgive him? If he, if he requests, yes. Yes, okay. Uh, even if he doesn't, if you don't want to be bitter, you will forgive him yeah, even if, okay? um, yeah, because sure. you're a forgiving person. Okay. Right. So to the degree we have, we have wronged ourselves, betrayed ourselves, which some people do, they have sinned against themselves, and there is a place for them to forgive themselves. For, for that, but the forgiveness really isn't the bigger issue. Why, why, it's really living with the mistake rather than forgiving the mistake. Yeah, and I think and, I, would, I would clarify it by saying in the forgiveness of God, I come to view myself a different way. And I think that's more what I'm getting at is I, 
I don't have to forgive myself if I understand how I'm viewed in God's love and how he loves me. That changes my view of myself, sin and all. And that's where I was about to go. And so where we, brilliantly, right, that's right, exactly right. And so the real forgiveness isn't this, this thing of forgiveness. It's being able to say, hey, wait a minute, through God's grace, through God's love, uh, David, who will always have been a murderer and through all eternity future, it's still true. He's a murderer and adulterer. History doesn't change. What changed is David's heart. He got a new heart and right spirit. So he was reborn, recreated. He is no longer in heart, in character, a murderer and adulterer. He's a new man. And so we're able to live and move forward without constantly beating ourselves up with guilt when we have partaken of the victory in Christ so that we are new in heart and we are not that person anymore. Amen. New motives. That's the real thing. All right. This is a question for Katie. (laughs) Okay. Katie, are there any resources that you would recommend for kids on conflict resolution and uh, maintaining and developing dignity? So there are some, uh, there's curriculum called Owning Up that I would recommend for middle school age kids, so fifth through 12th grade. Um, Owning Up is a great resource. There's also for tinier kids, um, American Girl has some really good series on um, the care and keeping of you, a feelings journal. There's also another journal called the Big Life Journal that has a lot of um, conflict resolution kind of scripts and role plays. I think the best resource is if they have a trusted adult, whether it's a parent, a grandparent, a coach, to role play with. Like, this happened to me at school today. I want you to be Katie. I'm going to be Chloe. I'm going to tell you what happened. And practicing over and over and over throughout their childhood on how to stand up for yourself and how to maintain your dignity in conflict. I think you don't have to buy a book or go online. You can do that in your homes or in your churches. I think all of us, if we practice that with them, it would come much easier to them. Okay, um, next question. You spoke on the role of the mother's uh, health in just in gestational, the impact on the fetus. Um, what is, what's the role of the father's health, uh, even, even preconception? Yeah, so I gave a couple of the examples, like the fathers who smoke before age 11 epigenetically alter gene expression, uh, increasing obesity in their sons but not their daughters, uh, and um, starvation in their adolescents alter their epigenetics, increasing obesity in their grandsons. And so it hasn't been as well researched, but we do know that life experiences, I will tell you addictions is another one, uh, males who have addiction issues will epigenetically alter their genes, increasing vulnerability in their children uh, to addictions later down the road. But because the child is carried within the mother's body, then she will have a larger impact during that uh, gestational time than simply the genes that are passed along um, in, uh, in conception. And so that's why more research is done in uh, women in pregnancy than, than the men. But the epigenetic changes, there's still so much to learn on both sides of it, but both are important. Uh, that's a nice segue, I think, to the next question here. Please speak to the pandemic of adult male suicide. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, I'll just speak to regionally where I live, um, the completion rate is four to one males to females. The attempt rate for girls is 25 times as many as boys, but boys and males, adult and youth, are completing um, more often. And typically, at least I can speak regionally, um, they just use more lethal means. So young males um, tend to find more lethal means more quickly. They're a little more impulsive, especially if they're you know, age 
10 to 25. Um, so we're seeing an escalation both in youth and adult. Um, and I would say, you know, pandemic-wise, the pace prior to the pandemic was escalated, and it has just continued at the pace. So um, I'll turn it over. No, I would say uh, this actually very morose and morbid topic shows the difference between males and females and how they operate. Males are very goal-oriented. See deer, kill deer, eat deer. Turkeys. Or turkeys. <laughs> Women are, in general, more relational-oriented. See deer. Deer have baby Bambi. Pet deer, give food. Okay? It, it, it's really, it, it's relational. And so with the suicide, you notice what's happening. Men, when they get to the point of considering suicide or adolescence, it's, there's a goal. The goal is to, to end my life. Four times more likely to succeed at it because they're going to make their, they're going to, they're going to achieve the goal. That's what they do. That's what, that's how men do. They accomplish, they achieve. Women, it's not about the goal. It's about the relationship. While they're working their way to, if they get to the goal, great, but who cares as long as you're in the relationship while you're doing it. That's what it's about. And so the suicide attempting on women, I will tell you, I've done this for a long time. There's lots of suicide attempting that has no intention of dying in women. It has the attention of manipulating, maybe that's a strong word, impacting, that's a better word, impacting relationships, being loved, letting somebody know I'm hurting, calling for help. They don't, there's no goal to die here. There is a goal to somehow have someone relate to me and connect to me. And this is how male and female, that's why there's 20, was it 25 times more attempts by women than men, but four times more deaths by men, you can tell they're not really serious in the same way as men are about actually dying. They're serious about the relationships, and this is a mechanism to influence relationships in their life. And that's how difference, again, they're not, we're not equal in function. Well, and I think the increasing rate mirrors what you're saying about men being goal-oriented. I live in the Intermountain West, and the reality is the highest rates of suicide in our country are in the Intermountain states. Um, and it's male increase in those rates in those states. And I think what we're seeing is less and less men are finding the ability to have a deep sense of meaning and value in our society and culture, which used to be come from things like agriculture and farming and structuring cities and the things that men were involved in. And now it's like, we don't even know what it means to be a man. So there's a, a loss of meaning and purpose, I think philosophically, that's at the center of it too. And we're seeing that um, specifically in the, in the states from the region that I come from. Arizona's quickly joining, yeah. unfortunately, that yeah. statistic. I would say just on the front of kids, because I have an audience here, um, so typically boys do not tell more than one person what their plan is. Girls tell, like, everybody. And so that goes back to, and it really is, like, you see at the school level, like, a little girl will come and say, like, Chloe's going to do this. An administrator gets on it. We triage it. We call the parents. We get her help. Boys tell nobody, and we lose them. And then the friends are like, well, you know, he did say, like, I might do this, or he was really struggling, and I keep asking these boys, like, why didn't you tell anybody? And they're like, I'm not going to sell out his friendship. They are, like, just hell-bent on, I will not sell out the friendship. And so we've got to do a better job, like, age 5 through 10, about the difference between telling on somebody and being a snitch and a safety issue, because truly... Boys don't want to die. They, they just want out of their pain. But again, it goes back to that trusted circle of adults. If they go to a parent or a coach and try to express themselves and get dismissed or shut down or man up, 
they're done. They will never go to another adult again. And that is truly where, at least at the youth level, we're missing for the boys. All right, I think we've got time for a couple more. Um, replacing damaging lies with life-giving truths is long, hard work to health, uh, is a long, hard work to health. Are there any easier shortcuts? <laughs> Someone's looking for a quick fix here. I'm all ears again. Once there is brokenness of any kind, there are no pain-free options. Mm. Oh, my goodness. You need to laminate that. Yeah. <laughs> okay? That's, that's, yeah. that's one of my what truisms with my patients. Uh, and many people who have been damaged, they don't seek health, healing, which is often painful. In fact, it is if there's brokenness. Go to, go to the doctor, get bone splint, whatever. It's, it's going to be painful. But there's healing that comes. Instead, they seek immediate pain relief. And so they just do pain avoidance. And many people are just living in pain avoidance, but they never actually get well. They remain permanently disabled and in chronic pain. The other one is, um, you, you know, know my truisms. You can never avoid the truth. You can only delay the day you deal with it. Wow. And the longer you delay, the worse it is when you finally do. And so, no, um, it's, really a, a, it's really a matter of developing that heart. The, 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 the lost in Thessalonians are lost because they did not love the truth and thus be saved. They loved their religion. They just didn't love their truth. And, and, and since we're finite and God's infinite, we never have all truth. We never arrive. This is it. I've got it all. No, it is an attitude that says, hey, I have a heart that loves truth, wants to grow in truth, wants to move forward in truth, wants to advance in truth, wants to assimilate truth. My hung, I hunger to displace distortions, misrepresentations, false ideas, and assimilate more and more truth every day of my life. That's my journey. And in eternity future, it never ends. So there is no shortcut. It's an eternal journey because God's infinite, we're finite, and we always, for those who are saved, will be advancing in truth. I say transformation is not like Nestle Quick. <laughs> or Ovaltine, for that matter. That's good. It's just not instant. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I think at a way lower level than I you think. think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And before we're done, guys, I just want to tell personally, I'm, I want to thank Katie and Ben. Yeah. I appreciate both of them. So will you thank them with me? Yeah. Really. Thank you. Haven't you enjoyed them? And, and can, yes, yes. And they come from completely different backgrounds than me. But see, principles of how reality work transcend those backgrounds because it's just reality. Uh, yeah. uh, well said. In fact, uh, let's wrap it up there. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, again for this opportunity um, to explored uh, more and more facets of your infinite character of truth and love. And, and we thank you for the freedom to be able to do it. Uh, we, ask for, we ask for healing. We ask for intellectual healing, for mental healing, for spiritual healing. And, and some of us are requiring physical healing as well. Um, we ask for travel safety for those uh, who, are, who are driving and flying away from us. And we, and we hope that we can get together and, and meet again in the, in the heavens. Continue to bless us each individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.